Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, I want you to picture the courtroom. The accused is charged with killing six people and putting another ten in hospital. He ploughed through a crowd while driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Now, the, um, this is his 10th DUI charge. The, the prosecutor's job, it's a slam dunk. There, there are multiple eyewitnesses and CCTV footage. Uh, the jury declares guilty verdicts on all charges. But when the judge gives the sentence, she lets the accused go free. She said, well, the accused that declares this, she declares this in a room full of people that were family and friends of those who were killed. Uh, The accused came and saw me and said he was sorry. That would be a miscarriage of justice. Nobody should get away with killing people simply because he said sorry. The judge is corrupt, unjust, unrighteous. The accused is guilty, deserves to be punished. So, how is it then God forgives Sinners. Does God forgive us simply because we say sorry? Well, obviously not. We've just proven that that would be unjust, unrighteous. It would be corrupt. So, how does God forgive sinners? That is the question today's passage answers. And so here's how we're going to handle today's passage. Uh, Firstly, we're going to look at the righteousness of God. We return to the righteousness of God from chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, Then we're going to look at uh, who gets the righteousness of God. How is the righteousness of God obtained? And then finally, we're going to sum it up. And, and by sum it up, I mean sum it all up. We're going to sum it all up from Romans 1.16 right through to Romans 3.26 by returning to the title of our sermon series, God's Righteous Gospel. And so firstly, the righteousness of God, then how is it, uh, who is it for, then how is it obtained, and then God's righteous gospel. That's where we're headed. Firstly, the righteousness of God. Boy, over the last five weeks, we have been building up to this moment, haven't we? Uh, do you remember Romans 1.17? It was a few weeks back now. Romans 1.17, for in it, for in the gospel that Paul's not ashamed of, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And finally, we come back to that phrase in Romans 3 verse 21. The righteousness of God is manifested. We are returning to the righteousness of God after this long excursion of looking at the wrath of God. 
which is being revealed against all unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 through to 3.20, it's like the evidence of a court case. The accused is all of humanity. And the evidence is unanimous beyond doubt and damning. Humanity, by nature, rebel against our holy maker. We stand condemned, guilty as charged, deserving of God's wrath. From Romans 1, 18 through to 3.20, the evidence has proven we are not righteous. Therefore, we are under sin and judgment. We are destined for God's wrath and fury on judgment day. We're all without excuse, but not without hope. Romans 3, 21. Read it with me. But now. <laughs> I'm seeing Graham smile, but this is a huge one. Do you remember the last five weeks? Condemned. But now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. God has done something. It's apart from the law. The law and the prophets were pointing forward to this something. But now God has done something. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. We are supposed to picture a courtroom. And the courtroom is judgment day. We are supposed to picture ourselves standing before the judge. And the stakes could not be any more serious. Because if the verdict is unrighteous, then eternity in hell waits. But if the verdict is righteous, eternity with God forever. There's nothing more serious. Romans 3.21 is huge. It is telling us that there is a verdict from God that can declare you righteous on judgment day. Romans 1, 18 to 3.20 proves beyond all doubt, you and I are unrighteous. But now, but now, a righteousness of God has been manifested. Here's what that means. But now, there is a declaration from God that can be given to you on judgment day. Righteous. Verse 21, the righteousness of God here is not God's personal character. Yet God himself is righteous. But the context says that's not what Romans 3 verse 21 is talking about. Verse 21 is saying that you and I can receive a righteousness from God. There is a righteousness of God that has been manifested, which means you and I should seek and find and lay hold of this righteousness. So that brings us to our second point. Who is it for? 
Who is the righteousness of God for? And, and just before we get there, let, let me remind you of where this all came from. You remember Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Greek, then to the Gentile. For in it, for in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. There is good news for the unrighteous. Remember, the gospel means, it equals, gospel equals good news. The gospel is the best news in the whole world. Who is it for? Romans 3.22 The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short. I'm not sure why all the English translations put in fall short. It's, it's a bad translation. It, it makes it almost sound like, oh, you almost got there. <laughs> you, you, you got to the finish line, then you fell over. That's a real shame. No, no, no. All lack the glory of God. Who is the righteousness of God for? God declares anyone who puts their faith in the Son. Anyone. Anyone. Anyone who believes. Do you remember the thief on the cross who died next to Jesus? He didn't get nailed to that cross for stealing bread. He was a bad man. The Roman crucifixion wasn't for little misdemeanors. Whatever he did, it was bad and Jesus said to him today you will be with me in heaven he didn't have any time to get his theology right he never had time to go to church he didn't memorize any scripture he just believed Jesus Who is the righteousness of God for? Anyone who believes the Son. Okay then, how is it obtained? How is the righteousness of God obtained? This thief is, an, is a perfect example. We'll get back to him. Read verse 24 with me. And are justified... By his grace as a gift. Now, to understand that word justified, we need to know it's, it actually comes from the word righteous. Righteousness is a noun. It is something. It's the righteousness of God. So being right, being declared right, that, that's the noun. The verb is not righteous fire, is it? We, we don't have an English word righteous fire. Our English word is justified. So in verse 24, when we see justified, we should be thinking about the righteousness of God, this declaration from God, justified, righteous, same meaning. Uh, verse 24, and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus somehow, we're going to get to the somehow in a minute, 
buys us out of our sin. He redeems us. Read from verse 24 again now. The righteousness of God, this righteousness that's been revealed, it is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and lack the glory of God and are justified. We're made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the most stunning conclusion to Romans 1, 18 through to 3.20. We took five weeks to work through Romans 1, 18 to 3.20. Week after week, we heard the verdict. Unrighteous. Deserving of wrath and fury. Sinner, without excuse, worthless, evidence piled on top of evidence. But then we hear that God is ready to give his verdict, justified, righteous to anyone who believes in his son. That, that is the most stunning Conclusion to Romans 1, 18 to 20, 320, sorry. Let me read the verses again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short, or lack the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So are you hearing justification by faith? Uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is called justification by faith. What a beautiful doctrine. God reckoning his righteousness. God declaring righteous, giving his righteousness to anyone who believes in the Son. No wonder why Christians love to sing about the amazing grace of God. No wonder why Jono is leading us in singing. And, and as we're going through that phrase, there's no more guilt. And Jono sort of goes off beat and goes, come on, church, no condemnation. Like, this is the best news in the world. Justification by faith. Let's return to that thief on the cross. Picture him turning up to heaven and, and God saying, why should I let you into my heaven? And the thief says, well, Jesus told me I could. I believe him. I'm here. God says, you're in. <laughs> this is the good news. This is God's good news. Now, before we get too excited, we need to think a little more deeply about this. Because imagine that thief broke into your house. Imagine it was your stuff he stole. 
And as he did, he killed one of your family. Imagine that's the thief. God is declaring righteous. That sounds an awful lot like the judge who lets off a criminal even though the jury found him guilty. That sounds like a miscarriage of justice. Is God's gospel righteous? How can God declare sinners righteous? Our answer comes in verses 25 and 26, arguably two of the most important verses in the Bible. Read them with me. I'll pick it up from verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier or just as he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Did Jesus die on the cross for you or for God? Did Jesus die on the cross for you or for God? Now, it is a trick question, but I don't want to trick you. I don't want you to be tricked. I I, I want to try and help us see how important these two verses are. Consider all the sins that God has passed over. Now, next week, we're going to hear about Abraham, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. I mean, Abraham is the father of Israel. God's favor was upon Abraham. But think about him. I mean, Abraham, when God chose him, he was worshiping pagan gods like all his neighbors. God just chose him. And then after God did choose him, God pimped out, uh, Abraham pimped out his wife twice. If somebody marries my daughter and then hands her over as a sex partner to other men simply because my son-in-law is scared of what those men will do to him if he doesn't, I would be enraged. Think. Think about all the sins God has passed over as he extends his grace. We need to stop and think about this. Did Jesus die on the cross for you or for God? Another way we could ask that question is, when God forgives us, is he turning a blind eye to sin? Another way we could ask the question is, when we say sorry, does God simply say, oh, that's okay, no big deal? 
Or, another way, how can God extend his grace to sinners? Romans 3, 25 and 26 are, in my opinion, the most important verses in the Bible. How can God be just when he justifies sinners? Have you ever asked the question, how can God embrace me as his child? When I neglect him so often. Have you ever considered what heaven would be like if God simply turned a blind eye to sin? I mean, eternity is forever. Even if God was just a little bit corrupt, that stain would go through all of paradise. I mean, eternity is forever. These questions are more the most important questions in the entire universe. How can God be just as he justifies sinners? There is a surprising and glorious answer. God put forward his much-loved son as a propitiation for our sin. That's a big word, isn't it? Propitiation. And so we need to look at a little bit of Old Testament tabernacle furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. You can read about the design of the Ark in Exodus 25 and you you can read about the religious significance of the Ark in Leviticus chapter 16. But I'm going to give us a quick overview. God told Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant. That's a replica, by the way. It's not the real one. Uh, God told Moses, build an Ark and put the Ark in the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the inner sanctum of the Jewish tabernacle. No one was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies because in it, God said he was present. So only the high priest could go in and only once a year. Now, the Ten Commandments were kept inside the ark. And those two figures sitting on top of the ark, they're called cherubim. They represent two angels. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, God told Moses, there, in between the two cherubim, on the mercy seat, I will meet with you. So that represents God's presence. Now we also read from Leviticus 16 that the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat. This happened on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, when the high priest was able to go in and sprinkle the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat. The bull and the goat were sacrifices for sin, the sin of the high priest, And the sin of the people. And here's what all of that represents. We are sinful. And because of our sin, we cannot come into the presence of a holy God. But God is kind and loving and merciful. He came down in the midst of his people. But because of our sin, because of our holiness, 
Blood had to be spilt. Animals were killed as punishment for sin. Which brings us back to that big word, propitiation. Propitiation in Romans 3.25, that's, that's an English word. For a Greek word that sits behind it, in the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. But here's where you could all do a little drum roll. This is where we've all been heading so far. Because the Greek word, there's a Hebrew word sitting behind it. And the Hebrew word in English would be translated, you ready? Mercy seat. Jesus was put forward as the mercy seat of God. Let's connect the dots. God desires to meet with his people. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the only means by which that meeting is possible. Uh, the mercy seat of the Old Testament and the blood sprinkled upon it by the high priest was a shadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus did make the sacrifice. Jesus is God's propitiation. I want to give you another stunning picture. Uh, I'm reading from John chapter 20. Jesus has died. Uh, Mary is going in on the Sunday uh, to uh, go fix up his dead body. But she sees that the stone has been rolled away. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw... Two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Does that not look an awful lot like the Old Testament mercy seat? Two angels sitting where Jesus was, but now Jesus is gone. Jesus is God's propitiation. Jesus is God's mercy seat. There, in and through Christ, God meets us. All the dots are connected and all our questions are answered. God does not turn a blind eye to sin. Our sin was punished. Jesus paid the price for our redemption. Jesus and the cross is how God is just as he justifies sinners. God is 100% opposite to a corrupt judge. God is a merciful father. Back to our trick question. Did Jesus die on the cross for you or for God? Of course Jesus died for us. But first and foremost, and this is where our worship comes from, Jesus died for God. See, while it may have appeared that God passed over sin, God always had a plan to deal with our sin. The, bull, the, the blood of bulls and goats of the Old Testament were not an oopsie by God. They were a shadow. They were a hint. They were a clue of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. 
God would not be God if he looked over our sin. God would not be God if he did mate rates on our sin. God would not be God if he went all soft and gooey every time somebody said sorry. God is God. And we know for certain. Because now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. God came and crushed his son for our sin. Jesus was willingly crushed for our sin. So that, so that anyone who believes in the Son would to be clear, to be too excited, be declared righteous, justified. No wonder why we sin. My chains fell off, my heart set free. Oh, church, let's rise forth and follow Him. Didn't quite work, did it? For those of you who know the hymn, uh, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. My goodness gracious. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea. Amen? Amen. Next time Satan accuses you, look, look, there he is, your righteousness. This is God's righteous gospel. It is the best news in the whole world. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father God. Holy, holy, holy are you. Worthy are you of all praise and honour and glory. Oh, Father, we pray that we would give our whole lives over to your righteous gospel. We thank you, we praise you that there is forgiveness, there is righteousness, there is justification through the Lord Jesus Christ. All praise, honour and glory be to you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, Or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.